This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran, giving you eternal answers to challenging questions and providing reasons for faith in Christ. Good to see you for another edition of Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. I'm Kevin Harris. I have the supreme privilege of sitting in with Pat Zucaran as we deal with some of the tough questions, some of the challenging issues that both Christians and non-Christians ask about the Christian faith. This is called Apologetics from 1 Peter 3.15 in the Bible to give a defense for what you believe. And Pat is very good at this. In fact, he wants to equip you, as the Bible says, to be equipped and to know how to answer those who ask you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Now, today we're going to be dealing with Israel. What a fascinating topic this is. We're going to go way back and get a synopsis of Israel's past and answer some questions like, why did God choose the Jews? And if they are God's chosen people, why are they so persecuted and not protected? What's the significance of the land of Palestine? And why did the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah? I mean, they had the Old Testament. They had the Hebrew Scriptures Right there in front of them, Pat. So let's dig into some of these issues, and we're going to answer some email as well. This is a fascinating topic. It's just amazing how much influence and impact it has had upon world history. Now, in understanding who the Jewish people are, we got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And since the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, God has been in a process of redeeming mankind unto himself. Now, at the fall in Genesis 3, from Genesis 3 to 6, we see that uh, uh, the Bible reveals mankind's failure in keeping God's commands. I mean, Genesis 3 through 6 is a history of the decline of human civilization. We have uh, a decline in human relationships, in marriage. The first murder is committed, and things just keep getting worse. There is a perversion of marriage. Lamech uh, commits uh, polygamous enters into polygamous marriages. He kills a man and writes a song about it. You know, the first uh, iced tea, the first <laughs> rapper in the Bible. Yeah. And uh, it just continues to decline to where God needs to judge the world with a worldwide flood in Genesis 6. And he begins all over again with uh, Noah and his family. And in Genesis 9, he starts all over again, but mankind continues to decline. They continue to rebel against God. And their rebellion culminates in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, where people build a tower, a monument unto themselves. And the tower is going to reach this guy in the face of God. So God needs to judge the nations once again and confuses their languages. And that's where uh, nations and different languages begin. And it is from there... Uh, Genesis 12, that the story of Israel begins. Now God's plan to redeem the world focuses around one nation. God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he gives him a promise, and he says, from this nation uh, living in a relationship with God, the entire world would somehow come to know God. And it's called the Abrahamic Covenant, and it's found in Genesis chapter 12. God calls this man Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. It's a civilization in Mesopotamia, in southern Iraq, we think. Wow. And it says here in Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. 
He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So the Abrahamic promise is threefold. God promises to make Abraham's descendants a great nation. Uh, then there's blessings to those who bless his descendants and those who curse or attack uh, the descendants of Abraham. God will also curse. And you see that throughout uh, the Old and New Testament. And finally, that all the nations would be blessed because of this new nation of Israel. And it is this nation living in a relationship with God in obedience to his commands. There would be a light uh, on a hill. The entire world would see the special relationship this nation has with the living God. And they'll want to come to uh, Israel, to these people, and learn about the God they serve. And so it is through this process that God is going to use now this nation of Israel, to redeem the world unto himself. Pat, here is another question from uh, the Internet. Doesn't the blessing that you're talking about here go through Ishmael, the oldest son, and not Isaac? Yes, that is a significant question, especially, and it's debated among Christians and Muslims. You know, Muslims teach that the promise is through Ishmael because he is the father uh, I mean, he's the firstborn son, he's the oldest son, and he's also the father of the Arabs' people. You know, Ishmael settles in the northern Sinai Peninsula, and the Arab people feel they can trace their lineage back to him. And they feel that uh, Muhammad, you know, claims to prophethood. You know, the, all the prophets are uh, Jewish, mm -hmm. you know, from the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the promise is through Ishmael, and you can trace Muhammad's lineage and the lineage of the Arab people back to Ishmael, then perhaps the promise uh, is for the Arab people, uh, not necessarily the Jewish people. So that's, that's what they argue, that uh, the promise came through Ishmael and not Isaac. Right, right. And so there's, you know, that, that's some of the teachings uh, in Islam or some of the sects of Islam. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at the Bible, you know, in the passages such as Genesis 17, it is clear that the promise is for Isaac because God promised Abraham that through his seed and through the seed of his wife, Sarah, uh, the blessing would go. Uh, he says here in Genesis chapter 17, verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And in Genesis 21, again, God confirms that his covenant is through Isaac. Now, Ishmael is the result of Abraham's act of disobedience. You know, God came to him and said, you will, you, you will bear a son through your wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah was about 90 years old. Abraham was about 100. And because uh, he began to waver in his trust in God, he took Hagar, one of his maidservants, and had a son with him. So Ishmael was born uh, out of really... Abraham's disobedience and all this trouble that we see in the world today and for thousands of years was the result of one act of disobedience. Yeah. You know, and, um, one thing that shows is that, you know, God's saints are not perfect. You know, we all make mistakes. 
but yet God continues to be faithful to his word and fulfill his promises. Yes. You know, however, you know, there are consequences to our sins that uh, we do have to live with. And uh, the act of disobedience on Abraham's part is, and, and the result of Ishmael and the people that come from him are in conflict with Abraham's descendants and the Israelites throughout the Bible. So, Boy. This is uh, another question that we have. We're talking about this blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Is this blessing and curse promise still applicable for today? Yes, it is. Uh, we see that throughout the Bible in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, God calls Israel the apple of my eye. You know, so they have a very favorite position with him. And this position and these promises are never negated throughout the Old or New Testament. And God will continue to deal with the nation of Israel in a special way. Uh, he's dealing with them today, as we'll discuss next week, but also in the future. He has a plan to restore the nation. And so the promise still applies. Mm-hmm. Why do you think uh, God chose the Jews? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. You know, there's no real clear reason that God says, except that it was his sovereign choice. Mm-hmm. They weren't more righteous. They weren't more numerous. They weren't more deserving than any other nation. It's just simply God's sovereign choice. And that's one of the themes you see throughout the Bible. You know, why did God choose me to be saved? You know, while well, it was his sovereign choice as creator, you know, he has the authority to make that choice. And for some reason, he chose the nation of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, Moses writes, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. And so it was simply God's sovereign act to choose this nation to be the one through whom all the world would be saved. You know, uh, Pat, when you see Fiddler on the Roof and Tevia says, God, couldn't you choose somebody else every once in a while? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if they are God's chosen people, why are they so persecuted and not protected? Well, the answer to that is found in the book of Revelation. You know, if you turn to um, Revelation chapter 12, uh, let me read that passage for you here. John sees two images, a woman and a dragon. It says here, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. This symbolizes the nation of Israel. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now the dragon there is Satan. And what you're seeing there is that Satan is looking to destroy the nation of Israel. Why is that? Well, if he can destroy the nation of Israel, 
then he can thwart God's plan to redeem the world unto himself. Let's pick this up when we come back. We're going to continue this line of Israel's past with Pat Zucharan. What is the significance of the land of Palestine? And why did the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah? We'll continue in just a moment with evidence and answers. Talking about, uh, Pat, if uh, the Jews are God's chosen people, then why are they so persecuted and not protected? And you went to a chapter there in Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. You know, many people, I think, have misinterpreted this verse, and they believe that the woman is the church. Some have even said that the woman in Revelation 12 uh, is is, is Mary, that she can be... uh, uh, is, is symbolized there. But I think that the Orthodox view, and I think the view that makes the most sense, is that this is the nation of Israel, and being God's chosen people, and being the instrument by which God brings the Messiah, by which God brings about his word, the Bible, uh, obviously the devil is going to attack Israel. Right, and Israel is central to God's uh, redemption plan for the world, and it's going to have a tremendous part uh, in the future uh, in the end times eschatology, you know, the Messiah uh, came from the nation of Israel. He will rule from the land of Jerusalem and establish his kingdom there. So if Satan can destroy the Jewish nation, he can destroy Israel. He can thwart God's plan. And so what's going on in heaven and in the spiritual realm uh, reflects or uh, has effects on what happens here, you know, on our earth at this time. The Holocaust is a major example of this, don't you think? I mean, uh, they, so many Jewish people, as you pointed out uh, when we were talking, boy, they have rejected God because of the horror of the Holocaust. Yeah, the Holocaust has had a tremendous uh, impact on the Jews. Many became atheists as a result of it. Many were questioning how can God allow the slaughter of millions, you know, millions of his people. Um, However, you know, the persecution of the Jews was predicted back way back uh, in the Old and New Testament. Jeremiah chapter 16, verses uh, 15 through 16, Jeremiah says this, uh, As surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, for I restored them to the land I gave their forefathers. But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I will send many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from every crevices of the rock. Now, the imagery of hunters and fishermen hunting them down, bringing them back, uh, that's an imagery of the persecution that will occur to the Jewish nation. But as a result, God will use even this persecution to restore the nation of Israel and bring them back to the land of Canaan or back to the promised land that he had promised them. We will get more into why the Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah so often. Um, Back 2,000 years ago and even today, and we'll expand on that. Uh, Pat, let's talk a little bit about the significance of the land of Palestine. Yeah, Palestine, uh, it was uh, with the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. God builds upon that and says, not only will your descendants uh, be a mighty nation, but God also in chapter 13 promises Abraham that the land of Canaan would indeed be the land upon which these people would settle. Uh, He repeats that promise in Genesis 26 to 
Abraham's son Isaac and repeats it again to Jacob in Genesis 28. So he makes this land promise to the patriarchs that the land of Canaan will be the land in which this nation uh, will settle and eventually uh, that is where uh, the kingdom will be established in the everlasting rule of peace. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30, this is called the uh, land covenant. Here is where God lays it out for the nation of Israel that indeed uh, they will enter the land of Canaan and they will possess it. But the uh, covenant in Deuteronomy comes with a condition. God makes it really clear here that if the nation lives in obedience to God, then God will bless them and keep them in the land. But if the nation disobeys God's commands and follows after other gods, then God is going to have to bring judgment and discipline upon them, and they will be judged and scattered throughout the nations. But it comes with the promise that though they will be scattered, in future prophecy, God will one day restore them to himself and to the land, and God will establish his kingdom there in Israel, and Jerusalem will be the city from which the future Davidic king will establish an eternal rule. It's fascinating. It really is. And to this day, that's why we see so much conflict there. Right. Because uh, what's going to happen at the end time centers around the city of Jerusalem. That is where the uh, future temple is to be rebuilt and restored. And that is where uh, the Messianic king is going to rule from. So Jerusalem has a tremendous significance for the Jewish people. But... uh, Unfortunately, right now, also for the Muslims who also have a temple there as well. Why did the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah if they had the Old Testament? I think uh, this is something that uh, you run into from time to time in your conversations with skeptics and in your speaking engagements. Right. You know, a lot of people wonder. They say, you know, why did the Jewish nation, if they are God's chosen people, if they got the Old Testament... Why are they rejecting their own Messiah? Shouldn't they have known better? This really doesn't make sense. However, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you know, the nation of Israel, though God showed tremendous care for them, though he performed many miracles, though he hand-wrote the Ten Commandments and gave it to those people, though he cared for them like a shepherd uh, or like a husband or like a farmer over his vineyard, uh, the majority of, of the people in the Israelite nation rejected God and chose to uh, go after pagan gods and live their own way in disobedience uh, to his command. And God continued over centuries to woo them back unto himself, sending them prophet after prophet. Yet they uh, continued to mistreat the prophets and kill the prophets and reject the word of God that um, God was sending unto them. So the rejection of God's word is a theme we see throughout the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus summarizes the history of God's dealing uh, with the nation of Israel in a parable he states in Matthew chapter 21. He says here in verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. 
So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And the parable, the chapter ends with this sentence. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And so here Jesus is summarizing uh, the history of the Jewish nation and God's dealing with them, that he continued to send them prophet after prophet, wooing the nation to return, and they would not. And so uh, Israel, can, you know, throughout their history, rejected God's word. And also, uh, they're misunderstood a lot of the messianic passages, uh, many of them um, just, uh, did not understand. Uh, they're reading the passages, and it seemed to be contradictory here, and, and they weren't able to put it together. Right. You have passages where you talk about the Messiah coming as a conquering king, you know, who establishes eternal rule in Jerusalem. But then you have other passages like Isaiah 53, talks about him being a suffering servant. You know, so they had trouble putting that together. And so when Jesus came, they were looking for the conquering king. Yeah. They didn't realize a military Messiah. Yeah. Uh-huh, and didn't realize that, well, the suffering servant comes first, you know, to atone for the sins uh, of mankind. And then uh, in a second coming, he will come and establish his eternal rule here upon the earth. Mm. Uh-huh. That is so significant. I think even uh, Christ's disciples still expected him to come over the hill with his tanks. Right, right. They were continually expecting a... Um, uh, a ruler who would throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire and establish his kingdom, you know, with the nation of Israel. And that's what they were waiting for. They didn't see it, and many were disappointed until they understood how the prophecies fit together. Yeah. Jesus had to take care of the sin problem first, and then he'll reign from the throne of David. Right. In, in John chapter 1, it says, you know, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And that's one of the most tragic verses of the Bible. You know, that he'd come to his own, his own rejected him. But it doesn't end there. You know, it says, to, but to all who believe, to them he gave the right to be called the sons of God. So throughout the Old and New Testament, there is what's called the remnant of believers who truly knew God and accepted uh, his word and continued to live in obedience to him. for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online 
as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers. Amen.